here through the book of Job, you kind of know by now what this looks like. Job's friends express their opinions. Then Job kind of fights back with his opinion. Then Job's friends express their opinions again. And this is the circle that just keeps on going for 35 chapters. Now, as we've mentioned most of these weeks, Job doesn't know what's going on. Remember that. In the midst of this storm, he doesn't know why this is happening. And also remember one of these points that we've been talking about a lot lately, that in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. As these guys just keep on talking and talking and talking, it's almost like they have a shovel and they're just digging a deeper hole for themselves. Now, we're getting to the point, though, where we're getting to the last comments that some of these guys have to say because God appears in Job 38, and he really changes the scene. And there's this other guy that appears before that, near the end of, excuse me, right before Job 38, a fourth friend that kind of shows up, and he really changes the scene a little bit, too. But you're going to kind of see some other themes here develop as we go through this, and we'll just jump right into this. So Job has been talking. Job, really here in chapter 19, he just kind of keeps on saying, you know what, you guys are awful friends, you're tormenting my soul, I have done nothing wrong, and they keep saying, yeah, you have. Well, tonight, Zophar, in chapter 20, verse 1, then Zophar, the name of the night, answered and said, therefore, my anxious thoughts make me answer. Because of the turmoil within me, I have heard the rebuke that reproaches me, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. What Zophar is saying here in verse 2, he goes, you got me so worked up, I have to say something. Verse 3, I hear the stuff that you're saying, and I just can't sit here and be quiet. Have you ever said that? I just got to say something. Most of the time, you feel like you just got to say something, just remember, no, you don't. Because most of the time, when you feel that compelled, that you just have to say something, what that person is saying is so frustrating, so annoying, so something, I just can't sit here and stay quiet. Yeah, you probably should. Now, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, then amen, go with God. But a lot of times in my life, what I've realized that I am so worked up, I just need to say something, it's usually not spirit-led, it's usually of the flesh. It's usually because I want to win the argument. I want the last word. I want that last word. I want the last point, and I want to say that point, and I want to say it firmly and strongly, and then I want them just to not know what to say and walk away, and then I want, right? See, this is Zophar saying, I, I just can't keep quiet, Job, with all the crazy stuff you're saying. Remember, one of the passages that we've been talking about is Proverbs 29, 11. A fool vents all his feelings. A fool vents all his feelings. So when you don't have self-control and those words just start coming out more and more and more, and next thing you know, you're just saying everything you're thinking, congratulations, the Bible says you're a fool. Zophar, you don't have to say anything. You don't, but yet we feel like we have to. So Zophar, what do you think you have to tell him? Well, verse 5, you're wicked, Job. Verse 5, you're also a hypocrite. Once again, these are Job's friends. You're wicked, you're a hypocrite. Jump down to verse uh, 21. His well-being will not last. Job, you're not going to last through this. Verse 22. In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. Every hand of misery will come against him. Job, you won't last. Job, you'll be in minis- uh, mis- misery. Excuse me. And then look if you look at verses 28 and 29. The increase of his house will depart and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion from God for a wicked man, the heritage appointed to him by God. Basically, what he's saying here is now is, Job, this is God's plan for your life. Job, you're wicked. Job, you're a hypocrite. You won't last. You'll be in misery. And this is God's great plan for your life. Now, once again, that idea still sticks around today, doesn't it? 
This idea that if you are in rough shape, be it physically, be it emotionally, be it spiritually, fill in the blank, that's obviously what God's plan is for your life. So you've committed some type of sin, and so therefore, since you've committed that type of sin, that sin has to be dealt with, Job. And Job, you're a wicked hypocrite that deserves misery, and this is God's plan for your life. That's Zophar. Now, thankfully, that's the last time Zophar speaks. So those are his final thoughts. Job's response in chapter 21, Job answered and said, Listen carefully to my speech and let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak, and after I have spoken, keep mocking. I'm starting to really like Job. Job's got this sarcastic side that kind of keeps coming out. Job says in verse 3, Let me speak, and after I'm done talking, now you can start mocking me again. See, now here's the point that Job's going to try to make. This is an interesting point. Job says this, Hey, listen up. If I'm really wicked and God tries to cut off the wicked... Why is it that the wicked don't seem to die young? That's what Job's trying to say. Why don't they seem to die young? Look at verse 7. Why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Basically, Zophar, if I'm so awful, such a wicked hypocrite, and you're saying this is God's judgment to wipe me out, why is it when I look across the world, I see wicked people all the time? And I see wicked people grow old. I see wicked people prosper. Look at verse 17. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? They keep going. How often does their destruction come upon them? The sorrows God distributes in his anger. Their lamp doesn't go out. They just keep going. So Job's great response is verse 34. How then can you comfort me with empty words since falsehood remains in your answers? He basically says, hey, Zophar, you're a liar. Wow. This is what's going on. Job, you're a wicked hypocrite. You're in misery. This is God's plan for your life. Accept it. Job's response, well, that can't be true. Let me talk first, then you can mock me. Because I see wicked people all around, and they just kind of keep going and going and going. Job, if you want to, just jump ahead to chapter 24 real quick. He continues this thought. We won't go into a lot of detail of it. But just to prove it, chapter 24 is a whole chapter of where Job sees wicked people. And he breaks it down between people living in the country... And people living in the city. Now this is fasting. This is written thousands of years ago. And all the breakdown that Job has. Boy you still see it around going today. Look at the people that live in the country. How are people in the country wicked according to Job chapter 24 verse 2. They remove landmarks. They try to cheat. They're taking flocks. They feed on them. They're, they're cheating and they're stealing. Verse 3. They don't care about the fatherless. They don't care about the orphans. They don't care about the widows. Uh, verses 4 through 11, you just see them pushing off the needy and the poor. They don't care. That's the people in the country, he says. Then if you jump ahead to the people in the city, starting in verse 14, well, they kill people, they murder, they steal. Verse 16, they like to break into people's houses at night. They're evil people all around, he says. So Job's kind of got a point, right? You ever thought about that? Why do the wicked keep living? This happens a lot. I'll get a phone call from somebody and they're really frustrated. Maybe they got a co-worker, they got something, and this co-worker is not saved, not walking with God in any way whatsoever, and they're wondering why this co-worker seems to be blessed, and here they are trying to serve and love the Lord, and their life looks like misery. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had that, that house that you drive by, and as your house is falling apart, you see this wonderful, beautiful house, you're thinking, that guy doesn't love the Lord, why is he blessed? He's got a nicer car, he's got a nicer house, he's got a nicer wife, nicer kids, nicer everything else, right? 
So then all of a sudden this frustration starts coming. You start thinking, why do I do all this? This doesn't make any sense. I can't pay my bills. But yet God tells me to tithe? And I can't even pay my bills? Look at that guy. I bet he doesn't tithe and look how blessed he is. All these thoughts start going through our head. Why do the dear saints get cancer? And why do those wicked people just keep on living and living and living? Now, there's a lot of ways to look at this. First off, let's just lay down a couple theological points. Because this is a real thing that pops up. First off, I sometimes think that God has extra patience, if you will, with the wicked. Second Peter 3.9 makes it abundantly clear that God is not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering towards us, not that willing that any should perish. Now, think about that. God says, I purposely wait on the return of Jesus Christ. Because the longer that he waits for the return of Jesus Christ, the more chance people have to get saved. Now that's love. That's grace. That's mercy. So why do you see these wicked people keep living? Because God in his infinite grace and mercy is saying, I want to give these people a chance. I want to keep giving them a chance because I care so much. Ezekiel 18.32 says this, I have no joy in the death of the wicked. Where did we get this idea that God up in heaven just laughs hysterically when somebody dies and goes to hell? That's not the God I serve and love. He has no joy in the death of the wicked. He is patient, hoping that the wicked come to salvation. And so sometimes from our perspective, when we look at this, it almost looks like God is saying, I'm going to let it go. Is he really going to let it go? Let's take a look at this. Can you go with me to Psalm 73? Psalm 73. I think part of the problem is also we get frustrated as we do that thing that we talk about not doing. The comparative thing. The comparative. They are more blessed. They have more things. Fill in the blank. And really God says, no, don't do that. Psalm 73 is a very honest psalm that asks these questions that we're dealing with right now. Look at Psalm 73. Verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, that's honest right there. I was envious of the wicked. They get to do whatever they want whenever they want. And guess what? They don't feel conviction, right? They're not getting up early on Sunday mornings. They don't care about church. They're not here on a Wednesday night. They don't care. They're not giving to the poor. They're not helping with this. They're not doing any of that type of stuff. They do whatever they want. They say whatever they want. They act whatever way they want. I have a filter between my head and my mouth because I'm trying to represent Jesus Christ and what I do and say. And sometimes at work, I would sure like to say whatever I want to say. They don't have to have that filter. This is not fair. I am envious of the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 4, there are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Nor are they plague like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. See, now, here's the deal. We, we would never admit to thinking that, right? But here, what, probably 3,000 years ago, this guy says, this is what we think sometimes. We're envious of that. Verse 8, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongues walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters are full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are all the ungodly who are always at ease. 
Always at ease. They increase in riches. See, that's what happens. We drive by these houses. We look at these people. And we think, what a great, comfortable life they have, right? Oh, man, they don't have worries like I have worries. They don't have fear like I have fear. They are always at ease. Verse 13, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. I'm suffering here as a believer, trying to live morally in an immoral world. I'm trying to be pure in an impure world. I I try to change the station when things come up that shouldn't be there. I try to watch what I say. I try to watch what I look at. I do all these things all day long. They don't. They don't care. They get to do, watch, look, say whatever they want. Verse 15, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Now stop right there. It was so painful for him to see the wicked and say, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Everything changes at verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. They're going to hell. So fine. They get to watch whatever they want. They get to say whatever they want. They get the house. They get this. They get that. They go to hell. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. See, this is what we've got to remember as believers. We put way too much emphasis on this world. Way too much emphasis. Now, I'm not saying that God has called us to a vow of poverty and let's just all run to the hills and make our own clothes and plant our own crops and just say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. No, he's told us to occupy till he comes. Let's be a light and a witness in all we do. But there's so much emphasis we place on this and things and life, etc. Wait a second. No, I am an, an eternal being. Have you ever thought about that? You are eternal. You're going to live forever. And you're only living on this world. 70 years, according to the Bible. Man, it's got about 70 years. That's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. But yet, so much emphasis goes into this because we don't read the fine print. Out here at church, it just fascinates me what happens. We get junk faxes all the time. We get so many junk faxes that we have to unplug our fax machine. Because we'll come in, and there'll be all these faxes there promising us a trip to the Bahamas, promising us this and that. It gets ridiculous. So one time we got one of these junk faxes. Now, this is always an interesting one, because we get these a lot, too. It's either the yellow pages, the white pages, or Google. And they'll call us, or they'll fax us, and say, hey, we just need to confirm your address. We need to confirm your business address and all this other type of stuff to make sure it's in the yellow pages, the white pages, or Google. Now, it's a trick. Now, I never knew what the trick was. I just knew it was smart enough to say, nope, we're good. We don't need to confirm. Well, if you don't confirm anything, your listing is not going to be near the top. I don't care if it's near the top. Well, when people search for, for your business, and I always ask them, what is my business? They don't know. We get people. This is a true statement. People call out here asking for Mr. Fellowship. Is Mr. Fellowship in? <laughs> now, if you're calling and asking me if Mr. Fellowship is in, there is a breakdown in the system here, okay? I normally just say, no, Mr. Fellowship's not in right now. Can I take a message? So this one is, um, what is this one? Oh, I don't know what this one is. This is either yellow pages or white pages. It's got the little finger walking across. Now, here's the deal. As long as I, this is all I got to do. I got to send this back, and I just got to confirm we're Harvest Fellowship, P.O. Box 235, Hamlet, Ohio, 43524. That's all I got to do, and that's all. And this is, this is great, right? 
Now, here's the fine print. All right, we're not affiliated with your local phone company. Okay, that's fine. This directory is not distributed to all local telephone subscribers. Okay, so not everybody's going to get it. If you already advertise in a local phone company's Yellow Pages, this Yellow Pages online business directory listing will be an addition. So you're already in there for free, but they'll go ahead and put this in again. Okay, here's the deal. If I sign this paper and send this back in, I'm agreeing to two years, two years at the price of $1,188 per year. Per year. So if I just sign this, I just cost the church 2300 and what? Some dollars. That's the fine print. That's the fine print. See, here's the deal, people. The fine print is Psalm 73, verse 17. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Seriously, people, let's never be envious of someone going to hell. I mean, let's just stop and think about that. We have been born again and saved in Jesus Christ. We are, we are separated by the blood of Christ. We are walking in grace and mercy and truth. I understand and I get that the road is narrow. It is difficult. It is tough. There's trials. There's tribulations. It is tough being pure in an impure world. We all know that. But guys, we're not going to hell. And when we fully get that and when we fully understand that, all of a sudden we say, okay, yeah, Lord, I see the big picture. Because the big picture is heaven. The big picture is salvation. The big picture is representing Jesus Christ. And so you're right. The wicked sometimes look like they're flourishing. They look like they're prospering. That's true. God is also being patient with them, hoping that they come to know Christ. God is also saying, I have no joy in the death of the wicked. So the longer he waits, the more opportunity they can come to know Jesus. And Psalm 73 tells me right here, you know what? Once I get into the sanctuary of God, I understand their end. All of a sudden now, I get it, Lord. It's all about heaven and hell. That's all that matters. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything here before we kind of move on? Rock. The beauty of grace is that makes life not fair. Now, because if life was fair, that's the thing, isn't that fascinating? If the life was fair, you know, if we, we never want to go in front of the judge and say, Lord, judge, I want justice. See, when you're in front of the judge, you want grace and mercy. And so when God says he's a just God, see, I sit there sometimes and I get all riled up. Yeah, God, you're a just God. Let's go read Revelation 19 one more time. Yeah, blood up to the bridle of a horse. Amen, right? Like, I don't want justice for me. I want grace. I want mercy. You know, my, you know I've told you before, you know, with my kids, that um, if they ever do something they shouldn't do, I always tell them, go sit on my bed. You know, go sit on my bed, and I'm going to come in. I'm going to deal with you. So, do something wrong at the Irvin household? Go sit on my bed. As I joked with you before, you never want to hear me tell you, go sit on my bed. That's not good. So, you go sit on my bed. But one of the words that we've taught the boys is, is this idea of grace, this idea of mercy. And so we'll go in there and we'll say, okay, this is what you've done wrong. This is it. This is the problem. You, you know, you did this to your brother, whatever. And so because of that, there has to be a discipline. And my kids will look at me and say, Dad. And I'll say, they'll say, yeah. I say, yeah. And they say, can we have grace? Wow. You know, what do you do? Can we have grace? 
Now, the problem is with grace, you say, yeah, they run out the door and hit their kid and their brother again, you know? Sometimes we do the same thing as believers. God, can I have grace? Yeah. But grace is a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize, wow, Lord, you just love us. You just absolutely love us. Anybody else have anything here before I move on? Ryan. That's a good way to put it, Ryan. Human arrogance. Uh, it's a fascinating how we as a society can change what is considered moral and not moral. And then the other one, uh, chapter 22, verse 5, Eliphaz talking, is not your wickedness great, and I am Mm-hmm. See, and the interesting thing about that with Eliphaz, when we get to this point, verse uh, 5, the fascinating thing about Eliphaz is he's telling Job, obviously you're so wicked, this is why these things are happening. Eliphaz is not putting a mirror up to his face. You know, it goes back to what Jesus said in the Gospels. How easy is it for us to pick a speck out of someone else's eye when we got a two-by-four sticking out of our eye? But isn't that so easy to do? It is so easy for me to see the sin and other people and my kids and my spouse and the church and be irate at that sin. How could they keep doing that? But then when the spiritual mirror is put up in front of me, oh, Lord, you know, I'm just a work in progress. But is it fascinating here? Eliphaz can look at Job and say, man, your wickedness is great. Your iniquity is without end. Yeah, but what about Eliphaz? And, and one more question to that is, I think if we could actually see and count our sins, you know, everything, the little things, the big things, all throughout our lives, mm-hmm. we'd be astounded at the number. It'd be ginormous. Yeah. Yeah. Even those little things, I don't think we'll ever fully understand how disgusting our sin is to the Lord. Um, I think it's Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6, that says something to the fact of all of our works are like filthy rags. Um, you know, even on your best day, you ever thought about this? Your best spiritual day, you're still an unholy mess deserving of hell. I mean, other than Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that something? We, we have a tendency to think that we're, oh, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm the spiritual giant. And no, I'm really just Romans 3. No one who does good. No one seeks after God. No, not one. And it's only by God's grace and mercy. And that's the beautiful thing is the more you understand grace and mercy, the more you realize, what do I have one thing to be prideful of or proud about? Gosh, Lord, it's all you. It's all you. Anybody else have anything before we go on? All right, let's see what Eliphaz has to say here. This is Eliphaz's last speech as well. He just basically says exactly what Ryan just mentioned, verse 5. You're wicked. And, you know, he kind of goes into detail here. He says, Job, these are the things you must have done. Don't you like it when somebody makes you a nice little list of all the stuff that they're sure that you've done wrong? I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. This is Eliphaz's opinion what Job has done. For example, you must have lent money to your friend and demanded clothing as a security. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. You probably think the land belongs to the powerful and only the privileged have a right to it. You must have sent widows away empty-handed and crushed the hopes of orphans. That is why you are surrounded by traps and tremble from sudden fears. That is why you cannot see in the darkness and waves of water cover you. 
See, that's sometimes what we do. Our life is falling apart, and then some great person comes in and says, well, you're obviously you're in sin. And so since you're in sin, you know, this is why all these bad things are happening to you. And then Eliphaz keeps on going, verses 13 and 14. He says, basically, you think you're going to get away with it? Look at verse 13. And you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds cover him that he cannot see, and he walks above the circle of heaven. So basically he's saying, Job, you think you're getting away with this, that God's not going to see your sin. So verse 21, now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace, and then good will come to you. Job, get right with God, and then good things will start happening to you. And then verses 24 and 25, get rid of your treasure, Job. Then you will lay down your gold in the dust, and the gold of Alphar, among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. So basically, Eliphaz says this, these final three points. Job, you think you're getting away with stuff and you're not. You're not right with God. If you get right with God, then you would have good. And the problem is you don't treasure God enough. And so since you don't treasure God enough, this is why these things are happening to you. Now, here's the hard part about Eliphaz. Some of those points make sense, right? The problem is we have a tendency to twist. You know, this is what Satan does. In John 8, 44, Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies. He's, he's been a liar from the beginning. Go back to the Garden of Eden. What did Satan do? He took God's word and twisted it. Satan hasn't changed. Do you ever realize that? In 6,000 plus years, he still does the exact same thing. He takes an element of truth, twists it, and then all of a sudden it makes it sound like it's okay. There's an element of truth, but yet it's twisted. So these three points of Eliphaz, you think you're going to get away with it, Get right with God and have good, and you don't treasure God enough. See, there's some truth to that. The truth is, sometimes we feel like we're going to get away with it. This is one of my verses I absolutely hate in the Bible, but it's still in there. Numbers 32, 23. Numbers 32, 23. You know it. Be sure that your sin will find you out. I don't know why that's in there. That's not a fun one. But be sure that your sin will find you out. And there's example after example after example. David, he's going to have an affair. He's going to get Uriah killed. And guess what David does? He just goes on and lives life for a whole year. David's unrepentant for a whole year. His sin found him out through Nathan the prophet. What about Achan? You remember the story of Achan? Achan steals something from the battle of Jericho. He goes back to his tent. He hides it. His sin found him out. We can go to Abraham. Abraham kept lying about his wife being a sister. Those half-truths, half-lies. His sin found him out. I'm telling you this lovingly. I'm telling you this nicely. I'm not trying to condemn anybody here. If you have unconfessed sin in your life and you just know it's wrong, your sin will find you out. It will. We we can't just keep covering it up and hiding it. There's a freedom in confessing it to Christ. There's a freedom in that. And Lord, I give this to you because I don't want to get away with it. See, here's the thing. We can hide sin. We're really good at that. Now, we may not think like Eliphaz is saying there that God can't see through the clouds. But how many times have we done something and no one saw it, no one heard it, no one caught me? Oh, good, I got away with it. We've used this example before with Moses in the book of Exodus when he killed the Egyptian. The Bible says he looked to the left and he looked to the right and then he killed the Egyptian. And many pastors have said he looked to the left, he looked to the right, but he never looked up. God sees, God knows. Now, what about the next point? Get right with God and you'll be okay. Look at verse 21. Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Therefore, good will come to you. I have asked this question many times since our study in Romans. What's your definition of good? Now just think about that for a second. If I come to you and say, God has promised good to you in your life. 
That in all things he will work for good in your life. Psalm says that he is good and does good. And I can even quote you this verse right here. Get right with God and good will come to you. See, we all have an interesting definition of good. You have to stop and say, Lord, I don't want my definition of good. And this is a hard thing to say. Lord, I want your definition of good. See, I want his definition of good. See, if God comes to me and says, James, pick the good in your life, automatically my fleshly mind starts going to what? Health, wealth, and happiness, right? That's good. See, I don't want my definition good. God, I want your definition good. And just honestly ask yourself, as a born-again believer following Jesus Christ, do you really want his definition of good in your life? And if that means letting go of your definition of good, do you trust him enough to do that? Do you trust him? And our last one, you don't treasure God enough, Job. Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Can you go with me to Proverbs 8? This will be our last passage here before we close Proverbs 8. That one hits home, doesn't it? There's probably a lot of times that we don't treasure God enough. See, here in America, it's so easy. Isn't it? I mean, it really is. Here we are meeting Wednesday night. We're coming out to church. We got heat. We got air conditioning if we need it. We had a good meal, etc. We are blessed. That's a blessing we take for granted a lot of times. I'm assuming most of you probably have numerous copies of a Bible at home. And if you don't have numerous copies of a Bible at home, you probably have a smartphone that can bring up 10, 20 different copies of a Bible just like that. You know, we have a lot of freedoms here at this moment, at this time. We have a lot of freedoms. We are very, very blessed. And we have a tendency sometimes to not treasure that maybe as much as we should. If I want to go home tonight, I can go home and I can read my Bible. I can go home and tell people about Christ. I could go home and flip on Christian radio stations. I can go home and flip on Christian television stations. You and I can stick around here and pray openly and freely. Man, now how long is that going to last for? I don't know. But at this moment, there's a lot of blessing. But do we treasure that? See, look here at Proverbs 8. Here in Proverbs 8, it's like wisdom speaking to you. This is like what wisdom would say to you if it could. Proverbs 8, start in verse 10. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. That's quite the statement. That the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, is more valuable than any material possession that you and I could have in our house. Do we really treasure that and believe that? Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth, I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. If you're a note taker, verse 17 is amazing. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. That is a promise. If you need wisdom, if you need guidance and direction, it is there. It is there for you. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver. 
Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we really honestly believe that? Lord, do I really treasure the wisdom and guidance that you give? Now, we've got to be careful here, because it's easy to take this point and run with it then. Well, if you really loved God, then you would... Now, I'm not saying that. I'm saying just first off to stop and say, Lord, do I really treasure you? Do I really treasure you? Just think back to the questions that we asked ourselves tonight. Questions that we just really need to ask and say, Lord, am I really doing this? Number one, is there unconfessed sin in my life? Something that I think I'm getting away with. No one's caught me, but the Lord knows. Number two, God, do I want your definition of good in my life? Or do I want my definition of good? And lastly, Lord, do I really treasure you? I mean, do I really treasure you like you just read there in Proverbs chapter 8? That last verse we read, verse 19, My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Wow, Lord, is that what we want? Because if that's what we want, what did we just read in verse 17? I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. He's there. Do we want it? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Now, does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? Ryan. See, and I think the, the problem with the statement of believe in God and bless you with riches, it, we have to define what the definition of riches is. Because um, everybody has a different definition of riches. And one of my favorite verses concerning riches, and I don't remember exactly where it's at, where it says that Christ has blessed us with all spiritual riches. All spiritual riches. And I think sometimes it goes back to our question of what is the definition of good, but what's the definition of riches? I mean, th- these, these are true statements. If you're not saved here tonight and you come to know Christ as your Savior tonight, He will do good in your life, He will bless you, and He'll bless you with all riches. Those are true statements. It just kind of depends on what His definition of good and riches are. And I love that passage of God blesses us with all spiritual riches in Christ Jesus. Those are the spiritual riches that we want. Those are the riches that we want. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, hey, let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you, and once again, we just think about Job here, just the struggles that Job is going through. Lord, help us to take this. If there's someone here tonight struggling, that you would show them that you are with them, you are there for them. You will never leave them, you will never forsake them. Thank you. And Lord, as we run into people that are struggling, help us to pass along encouragement and help. And Lord, those questions, if there's sin in our lives, Lord, Convict us. Just as your word says, search us and try us. Know if there's any iniquity in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. Lord, we want your definition of good for our lives. And Lord, we want and desire your riches, your wisdom, more than anything this world could ever offer. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week. God bless. We'll have a quick moment of prayer here. It's almost 8 o'clock. Um, So we'll have a quick moment of prayer up here. If anybody has anything you want to pray for, pop on up. You guys have a good week and God bless.